Hey, dear listeners. It's the moment you've all been waiting for since we began our journey into the life and times of Marie Antoinette fashion. Go ahead and imagine the David Bowie song that I don't have rights to. Just pretend that that's playing in the background throughout this whole episode. Marie Antoinette was known for her fashionable excesses. Think giant dresses and sky-high wigs that contained actual ships. But before the young queen was setting Versailles on fire with her trends, she was a frumpy, teenaged Austrian archduchess. She was basically Anne Hathaway in The Princess Diaries, a 90s teen makeover dream. In Austria, her parents kind of forgot about her since she was one of 16 children, so she had a pretty lax upbringing and was something of a tomboy. Then, when she made her pilgrimage to France at 14 to become Dauphine, she had to literally strip off her Austrian clothes and was given gowns in the French style. All of this is to say that she didn't give much thought or even get much of a say in her clothes. As the Dauphine, she watched the other members of court and learned about French etiquette and style. A lot of her direction came from the madames, Louis' spinster aunts, and then, of course, the fashionable mistress to the king, Madame du Barry. But after five long years of waiting, with nothing to do and no children to tend to, Marie Antoinette was finally crowned queen, and with the title came the power to finally, for the first time in her life, do what she wanted. So today we're going to talk about Marie Antoinette's holy trinity of fashion. First and most famous was Rose Breton, Marie's marchand de mode, who ensured her dresses were the envy of every lady at court. Next, we have Leonard Atier, who was her personal hairdresser and responsible for her whimsical sky-high poofs. And last, Jean-Louis Farjon, the queen's perfumer and cosmetic stylist. I'm also pretty sure that I am not pronouncing his name correctly, so please forgive me for that. In the interest of chronology, we're going to start with Leonard. While Leonard would go on to become a BFF to the queen and a very rich man thanks to his flamboyant, trend-setting hairstyles, Leonard basically decided to dress hair on a whim and arrived in Paris with no money to his name. He had that white man confidence where he was supremely self-assured and he started dressing hair for actresses and the nobility, refusing to do hair for the common people. He became famous within seriously a month of arriving in Paris because he styled the hair of a famous actress named Julie Nebert, whom he also began a sexual relationship with. Leonard was extremely handsome and well-dressed, and women were drawn to him not just to have trendy hair, but also because they hoped to date him. But Leonard was the type to keep his eyes on the prize. He attracted the attention of the Marquis de Longeac, who was a lady-in-waiting to the new Dauphine Marie Antoinette. The Marquis introduced him to Madame du Barry, Louis XV's mistress and favorite. So Leonard had begun working his magic in Versailles right as the young Dauphine had arrived on the scene. Now, in the episode Marie Antoinette, the Last Queen of France, we discussed how Marie was actually considered kind of frumpy when she first came to Versailles. All that changed when she met Leonard. He first endeared himself to the Dauphine by styling her hair with pieces of fabric in an effort to keep her head warm when she was outside, but it also kept her face clear of the trappings of a bonnet so that people could actually see her. And no one knew these decorative bits of ribbon and other adornments better than Rose Breton. Rose also came from nothing, and after being apprenticed to a marchand du mode, opened up her own shop in Paris that quickly became the place to go for stylish noble women. 
Léonard put in a recommendation for Rose Breton, and the introduction was made via the Duchess of Orléans. Both Léonard and Rose became trusted friends and advisors to the queen, which absolutely pissed off the other nobles because both of them were essentially commoners and were enjoying unfettered access to the queen. Léonard especially angered sticklers for protocol because he did Marie Antoinette's hair in her private bedchambers after her ladies-in-waiting dressed her for the day. Remember, Versailles had strict rules of etiquette started by Louis XIV. If you have nobles fighting over who gets to hold the king's towel, nobles don't really have time to plan and finance uprisings. Anyway, Marie hated how strict the court etiquette was, so when she became queen, she was basically like, yeah, no, my hairdresser and stylist are common but super talented. They're going to come straight to me and we shall talk and gossip in private. The shock of it all. Up until the revolution, both worked closely with the queen. Leonard was responsible for what became Marie Antoinette's signature hairstyle, the poof, in which her hair was piled sky high and sometimes featured accessories such as a model of an actual ship after said ship won a French naval victory. Rose Breton would visit the queen multiple times a week for hours-long conversations discussing fashion and design. Marie Antoinette never liked to wear the same dress twice and would order more than 300 gowns a year. A lot of her dresses would be given away to her ladies-in-waiting, which was a definite perk of the job. Like Léonard, Rose had a very healthy helping of arrogance. Just picture some overdressed, pissed-off French nobles in the Hall of Mirrors just seething that these two extremely talented commoners who had to work their way up enjoyed access to the queen. I love it. I also love that Marie was about talent over nobility, at least in this one area of her life. Rose became known as the Minister of Fashion and had up to 1,500 clients, including the queens of Portugal, Spain, Sweden, and the Grand Duchess of Russia. Rose and Leonard also had a bit of jealousy toward each other, and their friendly rivalry probably kept everyone on their A-game. Anyway, all the other noble women at court would scramble to copy her fashions and hair, which was a really bad idea because the cost was enormous and fashion was literally changing daily. Now, the last pillar of Marie Antoinette's fashion trinity is Jean-Louis Fargeon, her personal perfumer and purveyor of cosmetics. In his memoir, written after the revolution, he wrote that his passion and purpose in life was to improve, quote, the sparkle of beauty with artistically prepared cosmetics and repair the wrongs of age or nature towards the sex whose sweetest pleasure is to please, end quote. He came from a middle-class background and his family had long been in the perfume business. Like Rose and Leonard, Jean-Louis was also eager to receive the queen's favor. Upon moving to Paris and setting up a successful perfume boutique, he was introduced to Madame du Barry. She loved the perfume he crafted for her and told him that she would sing his praises to the king. Except the king died like a month later and she was sent away. But all was not lost because the governess to Marie Antoinette's children was a patron of his boutique and she told him that she would send some perfume to the queen for him if he wanted to whip something up for her. So he set to work making an exquisite pair of scented gloves, which Marie Antoinette, of course, loved. He began crafting bespoke perfumes just for her, and he also created soaps and sachets for her bath. Marie Antoinette adored flowers, so all of her compositions were very floral forward. Tuberose, mosses, jasmine, violets, those were all favorites. Jean-Louis created her signature scent, Trianon, a perfume she had commissioned so that she could take the Trianon with her wherever she went. Rose, Léonard, and Jean-Louis were rivals, but also found it beneficial to work together. 
Rose would have Jean-Louis sent the queen's adornments. Leonard went to Jean-Louis desperate for a potion to help the queen's hair, which had begun to fall out. I guess she wore too many ships in her hair. All three worked for Marie Antoinette up through the revolution, and all three remained loyal. However, their close association with the queen, as well as her high fashion, which was seen as frivolous, meant that they had big targets on their backs when the revolution got dark. Rose fled Paris for London and waited things out there. She kept dressing other European royalty as well as the nobility, but she no longer had the same fame. She died just a few months before the Bourbon Restoration. Leonard had several brothers, and in an effort to keep all of his appointments and run his hairdressing school, all of the brothers also went by the name Leonard. One of his brothers was guillotined, and it's not clear if he was confused for the real Leonard, but whatever happened there, the real Leonard skipped town for Russia, where he lived for 16 years, and of course did hair for the imperial family. He returned to Paris after the Bourbon Restoration, but was disappointed that his loyalty was not rewarded with a new position. Jean-Louis had a much closer run-in during the Reign of Terror. First off, even when he worked for Marie Antoinette, he agreed with the Enlightenment thinkers and was on board with Republican beliefs. Not Republican like how we have it today, the Republicans then were the revolutionaries. He was loyal to Marie because she was good to him and a great customer, but he was conflicted. He was put on trial, but eloquently argued his case, and he was spared the guillotine. He opened a new boutique and was a successful perfumer once more. I loved researching this episode. Tangential historical figures are just as intriguing as the big names. If you found any of these figures interesting, or you're just interested in fashion history, I am delighted to tell you that there are really amazing books on each person featured today. First off, Rose Breton. You can learn all about her in the book Fashion Victims, Dress at the Court of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette by Kimberly Chrisham Campbell. I heard about the book on a podcast called Dressed that had an episode about Rose. Links to both are in the show notes. If Leonard is more your jam, and he really sounds like a great best friend, then you should read Marie Antoinette's Head, The Royal Hairdresser, The Queen, and The Revolution by Will Bashore. There was also a two-part podcast series on Leonard on Stuff You Missed in History class. If you are a perfume junkie, the book A Scented Palace, The Secret History of Marie Antoinette's Perfumer by Elizabeth de Feiju is for you. I am, of course, biased because I too am a perfumer, but it's a fascinating story, a fascinating life, and so interesting to learn about historical cosmetics and how far we've come. Last, I'm going to plug my Marie Antoinette perfume. It was the first perfume I ever created professionally and was based on a sign I saw at the Trianon that had ingredients for her favorite perfumes listed. I very naively said I would go home and make that, and I did, and that's how Immortal Perfume started. And to this day, Lorraine Antoinette is one of my most popular scents. So thank you to Marie and Jean-Louis for paving the way for me 230 years later. That's it for this week. If you've been enjoying our look at Marie Antoinette, I've got good news for you. There's one more episode in our series. Join me next week to hear the tale of two Edwardian professors who claim to have slipped through time and encountered the ghost of the doomed queen. (laughs) 